This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Huawei HPC aspirations grow with the cloud. And you jumpstart another Exascale project. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And Michael, this week in HPC, I've been in Shanghai, China, where I was covering the Huawei Connect conference. Yeah, and it's actually a good thing you you were because there was actually some good news out of it. We were just talking about it before the show, and this news didn't actually come out on the wire or any any place else. So, I want to give us a quick rundown of what they were what they were talking about there in Huawei. Yeah, Huawei Connect. It's a huge conference. They had about twenty thousand people there. Now, Huawei, of course, is an enormous telecom provider. They've been in enterprise computing now for a while, so it's it draws a large crowd. But they've been getting more and more into the. HPC side, and I'll come around to the HPC specific announcements, but the wrapper around all of it was the theme of grow with the cloud. Now, a lot of companies are talking about cloud computing and and uh, and the hyperscale market, but Huawei really threw down with very large aspirations in this with uh, their rotating CEO, Go Ping, was talking about that as clouds consolidate, he said there are really going to be five major clouds in the world eventually that will serve out the all of the needs in what they were calling the intelligent world as everything starts connecting. And he announced Huawei's intention to be one of those five. Now, this isn't coming out of nowhere. Huawei, of course, is a major mobile provider, a huge telecom. So on the American side, you can imagine if someone like AT&T were saying the same thing, it would be very credible. Uh, fun fact from Huawei Connect 2017, they, he, they claim that 50% of the world population already touches Huawei networks, and that's a very believable claim coming from there. So they have these very la- large cloud-based uh, aspirations. Now, where that comes around to HPC and some of their uh, announcements during the show, they announced something called Atlas, their Project Atlas which is going to be the high-performance aspect of these public clouds that offer dynamic provisioning of all sorts of HPC uh, resources, GPU pools, FPGA pools, HPC uh, storage pools, uh, with a, a, a GUI, a dashboard that allows you to uh, dynamically allocate those resources. Now, that can be done in public cloud. It can be done in private cloud. They deploy a lot of on-premise resources, which gets around to the other half, which is that they've uh, upgraded their uh, on-premise uh, HPC solutions, which is under the Fusion server line. They're now moving forward to the G series. This is a, a high-density uh, compute line with a range of offerings, but now upgraded to the most recent Intel Skylake processors, includes the GPUs, the FPGAs, and that provides a lot of the backbone for this Atlas cloud. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot there. I mean, those new Fusion servers are, are pretty interesting. They've got, uh, I'm looking at one of them's got uh, eight uh, NVIDIA Tesla P100 GPUs in it. That's a big 4U chassis, and similar to some of the other large gpu box we've seen aimed at certainly the machine learning space to a to a great degree and then they've even got some of the the older p40s and and p4 uh uh, gpus in there as well for for inference the inferencing side of machine learning as well 
so an interesting group of uh, fusion servers coming out. But yeah, with this cloud uh, strategy on top of it, it becomes even more interesting. And then their aspirations to actually become one of the big players, uh, that's quite interesting. Obviously, even with their large telecoms uh, footprint today, they've got a, a lot of ground to make up uh, with the Googles and the, the Amazons and the Microsofts of the world. But uh, it's, it's an interesting place to, to start at, at the compute intensive side of it and to go from there. And that, in that sense, they, they sort of are looking to me like a lot more like Azure right down to the, the FPGA offering inside of it. Yeah, I think Azure is a good cohort to compare this against strategically, just in terms of what they're putting together. The difference, of course, being that Huawei has its own server platforms that's going to start right. building this on. They've got their own hardware. And you're right to point out that uh, that 4U chassis, the Fusion Server G5500, is really the beef that's in the middle of, of this whole thing. Uh, that's the one that's got the, the, the eight Tesla P100s. It's got, you know, targets the, the range of AI and HPC, uh, applications. Now they've got other blades. They've got other configurations depending on, you know, what your workload actually is. They've got other configurations that target inference, for example, uh, that go with the lighter weight GPUs or, or the FPGAs. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting that they really do have a full complement of the hardware platforms that you would look for. Um, you know, for me as an HPC analyst, I could wish they weren't talking about it exclusively in the context of cloud because the vast majority of HPC is still going to be done on premise. So you have to kind of reinterpret it as a private cloud offering as far as HPC goes. But, you know, I'm also aware that they're talking about it at this huge uh, enterprise conference where people are going to want to talk about cloud. Cloud is a huge topic. So to say that Grow with the Cloud was there was their theme for the event. So you're going to get a cloud-centric view of things. I'm understanding of that. And then when you get one-on-one -on -one with the HPC people, they understand that that the majority of this is going to be done on-premise. Right. And like you said, they've since they've got both sides of the, uh, the business there with the server side, they can do both. In fact, uh, there's nothing to prevent them from doing, you know, hybrid clouds on their own with everything in-house now since they've got, again, they've got both sides of it. So... Yeah, an interesting array of cloud services, especially to the to HPC guys, uh, even even if you're not using the cloud part of it, since they've got now these platforms that that do the GPU acceleration as well as FPGA acceleration, if if uh, that's what you're experimenting with at this point. It's uh, a, very, um, a very challenging set of uh, things for some of the uh, some of the competitors in this space but Huawei like we said I think we sort of uh, on this side of the, the ocean we sort of underestimate the size of that company and sort of their reach but uh, definitely they're well within uh, in the same range as, as some of the the Googles and the Baidus of the world and, and even the IBMs of the world and being able to, to make a mark on uh, a lot of customers and uh, in, in a lot of different countries. Yeah, it is a large company with a lot of reach. And the interesting thing here is that they're 
really uh, establishing their intent to be that level of tier one provider. And from a hardware perspective and a strategy perspective, you know, it seems like they, they've got those pieces. Now they are newer to the HPC market, so the areas they're going to have to develop are going to be in services and in the domain-specific uh, application expertise. But, uh, you know, they're taking a long view here. They're talking about what the, what's the world going to look like in 20 to 30 years, and can they be that provider? Uh, you know, this is the start of a long strategy. I would say they've, they've you know, put together over the last two years the pieces they need to do so far, and they seem to have a, a high level of organizational commitment. So they're definitely going to be a, an organization to continue to watch. Starting last year, we did start breaking out Huawei in our uh, in our vendor models for HPC. Uh, we're going to take a look at them and, and continue to track them into the future. Okay, Michael, also this week in HPC, uh, looking at a different part of the world, we've got another big exascale initiative coming out of the EU. Yeah, we've talked about multiple projects, uh, the exascale projects that are being funded by the EU. This is actually a new one. It consolidates a, a series of older initiatives that were funded under the Horizon 2020 program. This is a, a very large program that funds a lot of high tech in Europe. Um, but these have consolidated three of those projects under the a new one called EuroExa. Um, and it's got uh, basically a consortium of, of vendors and uh, research organizations and even some users. And they're going to go forward with what looks like uh, going to be an ARM FPGA hybrid platform uh, aimed at the exascale architecture. Yeah, there are a couple of interesting things about that. But let's start with... Uh, what you were just highlighting in terms of the architecture here, this seems to me to be following a little bit of a, a Chinese model of what can we develop uh, within the EU uh, with less reliance on external technologies. And the big thing to notice right away is as far as the prototype that they're talking about building in a couple of years, uh, we didn't see any mention of x86 and there's no mention of GPU. Right. I mean, they're looking at at ARM, some implementation of ARM, um, as well as FPGAs, it looks like Xilinx FPGAs. Now, neither of those is technically uh, purely European. ARM Limited, of course, got bought by SoftBank, a Japanese uh, conglomerate. Uh, Xilinx is an American-based company, but what they're doing in this project is they're doing the design work, so they're going to put these things together, and they may end up actually implementing their own ARM uh, processor, which could certainly be a, of a European uh, design. So. In that sense, it's very European. They're not doing what the Chinese have done to date, at least in, in uh, designing and manufacturing their own chips, but something sort of uh, close to that in the in the system and board level design. Yeah, this now marks the second major uh, national level. Well, EU is more than one nation, but the major government initiative for supercomputing at the exascale level based on ARM because. Uh, Japan is going that way with the uh, with the Fujitsu systems and the post-K. So we've got two huge exascale initiatives now based on ARM. And currently, you know, there's no ARM anywhere on the top 500, is there? No, not now. I mean, there's there's uh, those systems are are still to be uh, deployed. But I think we'll actually start to see those in in the next uh, you know year two two years down the road. But yeah. This is, you know, it's, it's a leap of faith, but it's not that, like you said, it's not the only ARM design aimed for exascale. In fact, there's actually a couple more in the in the uh, in the EU under the EU that are being uh, 
driven by ARM design. So not that uh, surprising in that sense. The, the Europeans are big on ARM uh, going forward, and they, I think they are looking to that to basically not really just have internally uh, or domestically produced designs, but also to get away from the dependency on x86. Yeah, my um, concern here is on the software side, of course. You know, you can build the system, but I want to see what applications you're going to have running on it. And when we don't have any large-scale ARM systems currently, that means you're building a lot of this from scratch. Now, it's not that it can't be done, but that's my big concern with a lot of these ARM-forward initiatives. But let's get to the other really interesting thing about this that you started pointing out. This is an EC-funded project, right? So there's 20 million euros coming out of the EC. The UK is still currently part of this. They haven't formally left the EU yet, but by the time these prototypes start getting deployed, they're not going to be part of the EU. And yet it looks like uh, a lot of this money is actually going to go to prototype systems in the UK. Well, a lot of the money is going to those members. So uh, of those 16 members that are currently part of the Euro Exascale project, six of them are from the UK, and that includes uh, some big ones like University of Manchester, the Science and Technology Facilities Council, uh, even the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecast, which is also based in uh, in England, um, as, as well as Arm Limited itself and, and Maxeller, which are UK vendors or UK base vendors, I should say. Um, and actually half of that initial 20 million euros is, is going to those six UK based uh, organizations, which is, which is sort of amazing in itself. Um, so they, those seem to be driving it. But like you said, uh, by the time this comes to fruition, though the UK will presumably not be in the EU anymore. So I don't know what the, uh, if there's any issues surrounding that, but obviously they they wanted these people as part of it. They, these are the main drivers here. It looks like are going to be UK organizations. The University of Manchester is actually all by itself is getting six million euros of that twenty million. So to me, it seems to be the sort of the key lynch linchpin partner in this in this uh, consortium. Presumably, they've already thought of this, right? It's not like they're going to listen to our podcast and say, oh, shoot, we forgot about Brexit, right? <laughs> this, this is something they're well aware of as they're going into the planning. So it, it's just we don't understand, or at least I don't understand, all the political ramifications of having EC-fueled money going into projects in the U.K., post-Brexit. I'm sure they worked it all out, but I just meant to highlight it as an interesting uh, aspect of, of this EXA project. Yeah, and, and this is further down the road. Like you said, the prototype's not going to come out until until 2020, and and uh, there's no procurement based on this. So nothing is actually, no system per se is being bought under this project. They're just developing technology, and uh, you know maybe there's some allowance for EU money going to R&D projects on a more international basis. But that's the way it is. It's a lot of money. In fact, that 20 million is, is just a portion of it. Eventually, they want to put 50 million euros into this project, uh, whether that's going to extend the time or whatever is not quite clear. But it, it's it's a very uh, large amount of money, and there's a lot of interesting organizations involved. So uh, we'll follow this as it develops, and we'll see, see what uh, what comes of it. All right, Michael, well, thanks a lot for another couple of interesting stories. You can read more about the uh, EXA EU project on top500.org, and thanks for tuning in. 
You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.